Well, again, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all of you. And well, we welcome you and especially welcome our guests. We're so glad you're here on this beautiful Sunday morning. And we're rejoicing uh, in this great gift of giving thanks for moms and people who are like moms. And uh, in first service, we had the kids' sermon and a lot of rejoicing and celebrating. So I know you're doing that as well. And uh, again, just a warm welcome to our guests. Today, we conclude our sermon series, uh, The Promised Land the book of Joshua, and New Beginnings. As I said earlier in the service, we began five weeks ago uh, looking at the first chapter of uh, Joshua and uh, learning about his call as the assistant to Moses. You remember Moses and he were on Mount Nebo. We saw that beautiful landscape vision of the promised land on the Jordan side of Jordan. And um, we saw that Moses died, God buries Moses, and then Joshua is now led and chosen as the leader to lead God's people into the promised land. And you remember, Joshua was giving specific instruction and, and has all of these tasks to get the people ready. And we talked about it's important to listen to God's call. And we talked about what is our promised land. So I just, I know you filled out, many of you did this card. I did as well. And so I just want you to take a moment to remember what you had written on that card. And if you didn't have a card, maybe you can think now, where is God leading you? What is God calling you to? Uh, it could be as simple as better health, or you know, you're going to call a friend you haven't talked to. Maybe it's more intentional. I'm going to work on a relationship. I'm going to give up a relationship. I'm going to change jobs. Maybe I'm going to do something totally new. Maybe, maybe it's an issue of faith. You know, I'm going to commit to more scripture reading. I'm going to commit to worship. I'm going to commit to a new way to serve and do ministry. What is your promised land? And then you'll remember uh, in chapter 2, we met uh, an ally of Joshua, an unexpected ally in Rahab. Uh, and you'll remember the spies had gone there, and she ended up delivering them and giving them direction. And on behalf of that, she was spared. And we talked about that when you go to the promised land, not only do you have to be open to the call of God, but you also have to look for those allies God provides, like Rahab's. And uh, we talked about who could that be in our life? You know, could it be a, a spiritual director? Could it be our pastor? Could it be a teacher? Could it be a friend? Could it be a therapist? Could it be a support group? What could it be that would come alongside us in our journey toward the promised land? And then we talked about uh, the, the challenges of, of being on the road to the promised land, right? We talked about obstacles with the wall of Jericho. You remember that? That fortified city. And sometimes God calls us to do unexpected things to get to the promised land. The, the strategic plan would not have been to attack Jericho by walking around and shouting, right? That doesn't seem like a good plan. But that's God's plan. And the walls come tumbling down. And then last week, Pastor Clayton helped us to say, yes, we need to hear God's call. Yes, we need allies. Yes, we're going to encounter obstacles, and God will lead us in new ways beyond that obstacle. But sometimes we fail. Amen? Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we, like Achan, who takes some uh, uh, gifts from the war for his own use, or Joshua, who doesn't consult God's direction, but sends spies and does his own plan, and then they fail miserably at IE, remember? And it doesn't go well. And they're like, what happened? And they've, they've done their own thing instead of God's thing. Sometimes we fail. And yet, Pastor Clayton said, God's grace calls us back onto the trail that God restores us and forgives us and leads us to admit the failure, to admit our failure. And especially in a world where leaders don't admit failure, right? We are called to confess our failure. Then there's a lot in between 
what we read last week and where we are today. And I would encourage you today and over the next days, there's several, several, several chapters uh, about the transition from that moment to where we are today. A good portion of these final chapters in Joshua, if you like real estate, you're going to love these chapters, amen. It's just about the land allotments to all the tribes and Joshua giving them their land on both sides of the Jordan. So if you're looking, if you're interested in that, you'll love it. If you can't sleep, it's going to be great for you. You will, right? But there are a couple of things I want to highlight before we get to today's story. One is uh, not only the distribution of land, but we also meet a guy named Eliezer, who is the son of Aaron. Do you remember Aaron? Aaron was Moses' brother, and he was the high priest. So Eliezer becomes a key leader along with Joshua in providing the worship life and leadership uh, that's important. So new people emerge on our way to the promised land. Uh, You'll also remember there was a big dilemma when the tribes, the two tribes and a half on the east side of the Jordan were fearful that they were going to be forgotten. So they built an altar to God uh, on the opposite side of the Jordan in present day Jordan. And the rest of the tribes got upset and felt like it was an offense. So they battled up for war. So sometimes when you're on your way to the promised land, people misunderstand and they try to stop you. And so they're about to go at it, and then they end up realizing that this was a way for them to worship God on the other side of the Jordan, and the Civil War doesn't happen. Then finally, I want to lift up a couple of other pieces. Caleb, or Caleb, have you ever heard that name? Hello, are you awake today? I feel like you're not, right? Caleb, right? Caleb, uh, his name means dog. I'm not sure I would have given him that name, right? Um, uh, But anyway, Caleb uh, is an assistant to Joshua, a very faithful leader, And he gets a special land grant in the distribution because of his leadership, which is interesting that things begin to take some changes. And then Caleb's daughter, Aksa, uh, she comes to her dad and says, now this is a woman in a kind of male-dominated culture, and she says, well, the allotment that I've been given has no water, and if you've been to the Holy Land, that's a problem, amen? So she cuts a deal and gets some water. And I always think that's interesting that Oxford doesn't get a lot of coverage, right? But she was pretty brave to come forward and say, hey, this real estate deal is not good for me, right? And I, I like to hear her story. And then Zelephadad's daughters, I'm sure you're familiar with Zelephadad. In fact, many of you probably considered that name for your children, amen? <laughs> Zelephadad is another person. He died in a battle. He has a number of daughters, and they approach Joshua and say, we won't get land because we have no male leaders. And Joshua relents, and he gives them land. So there's always this interesting piece in Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture where women surface and take leadership, and I always think God does that intentionally. Amen? Hello? Amen? Right? And then finally, um, there's also the setting up of refugee cities. Uh, And we forget this. This gets overlooked, but they will come into great play throughout the Old Testament. There are three refugee or sanctuary cities. They're called Kadesh, Hebron, and Shechem. And they're set up to be a place for immigrants uh, to have safety and protection, but they're also for people, according to the law, you remember, if you accidentally kill somebody by accident, uh, if you do that in the law, you should still be killed. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know what I'm saying? Hello, right? But if, you, if that happens to you, and it's an accident, and you don't want to be killed or have your tooth yanked out, right? You, you can go to a sanctuary or refugee city, and nothing will happen, right? Now, that sounds silly, but it's a real gift of grace in the midst of the law. And so these three cities were called refugee or sanctuary cities. And then finally, I want to mention Shechem, 
which is where today's story takes place. It's a sanctuary city. Joseph's bones will be buried there. Jacob cut a deal there, and it's the first place God actually spoke to Abraham. So of all places to make this covenant, Shechem seems perfect. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Joshua. It's an amazing book and powerful stories of faith. It's a hard book with death and challenges and a lot of violence. And so we really struggle with your word in this book. But we know that as Joshua said yes to you and as the people renewed their covenant in chapter 24 today, we come before you today ready to renew our covenant to live by your word. Lord, we thank you for Mother's Day, for mothers who helped guide us along the way, in many ways have been allies in our journey to the promised land. Open our hearts, our minds, our very selves to once again renew the covenant to follow you, to follow Jesus, and to change the world. And the people of God said, amen. Now, I know this is going to come as a huge surprise to you. I'm sure you have forgotten, but 27 of us went to the Holy Land a few weeks ago. Amen? Right? Right? I know. I haven't talked a lot about it, but I thought I should today. Right? So there were lots of experiences, right? For those of you who have guessed, I've talked way too much about the Holy Land trip. Uh, Several of us went in March to Holy Land, and one of the things we did on our journey in Israel was to go to Cana. And you may know that Cana's in Galilee. And Cana is the place where Jesus uh, did his very first miracle, right? And it's a perfect story for Mother's Day because it's his mother Mary who makes him do the, uh, uh, the, the miracle. Do you remember? They're at a wedding. They run out of wine. She's worried about her friends being embarrassed. Do you remember that? And she turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need you to, son, please turn this water and wine. You know what you need to do. And Jesus says, Mom, it's not my time. And she says, I told you what to do, do it, right? <laughs> Anybody have a mother like that? Amen, right? Okay. And so Jesus does reluctantly, and, and the party's saved, right? Best wine for last, right? So it's Cana uh, where that happened in present-day uh, Galilee. And so as we were traveling, one of our stops early in the morning was Cana. Now, Cana has several churches, but one of the churches is a beautiful, beautiful Catholic church and a huge sanctuary, lots of courtyard, but in a very, very busy city. And then there's some side chapels and things like that. And um, so we had gone there for the tour, but we also said we'll reaffirm the wedding vows of couples that are on the trip. Doesn't that sound beautiful, right? And uh, we had liturgy, and we went with another church with my best friend being the pastor. So there were 64 of us, and a number of them were couples. And we said, we're going to renew our vows at Cana. And uh, that morning, when I woke up for prayer at our hotel, I just was excited. What a, what a gift to these couples to reaffirm their wedding vows, uh, vows at Cana, right? That's going to be amazing, right? And I thought about how beautiful it's going to be. And we got to Cana. And it was just so crowded, right? There were just tons of people, lots of pilgrims. And here's the beautiful church, but around the church are all these gift shops that sell wine, right, right. And friends, it's not very good, right? It's very sweet, and I was really shocked when we had it afterwards. But anyway, we got there, and we were welcomed, and we were going to do these reaffirmations, and then my friend had a couple actually getting married, okay? 
So there was going to be a wedding. So he said, you do the reaffirmations, and then I'll do the wedding. Now, you know, I occasionally wear a, a clergy collar. I don't wear it very often, but my friend wears it all the time. And so when he got there, there was some misinformation, and, and they knew we were doing this real wedding, and they thought we had the certificate from the government of Israel, so they, they, they put us in the main sanctuary on the chancel, which we shouldn't have been there, but we didn't know that, right? And so, I, so you know me, I'm trying to get everything in order, and I said, friends, let's get in our chairs, couples together, I'll do the reaffirmation, and as soon as we're done, we'll come down and sit in the pews, and then uh, Pastor Daniel will lead the wedding, and then we'll be on our way, because, you know, there are other groups, we're not the only people in town, right? We thought we were, but we weren't, right? And so uh, we began, and we, I started the liturgy and, uh, on the chancel, and it suddenly becomes clear uh, to the priest and nun who are in charge that we're not supposed to be there, right? And they're really in a dilemma. And, and, and so it just was a kind of interesting thing. We're in the midst of what's going to be this sacred reaffirmation of vows, right? And, and then I'm in the middle of it. Sue Entwistle is reading the gospel from John chapter 2, and then we're told, you've got to leave. There's another group, and you're not supposed to be here. And we went, what? And they said, you're not supposed to be here. And we realized we're not supposed to be there. I mean, they were right. And so this chaos kind of ensued, right? I mean, here's this sacred moment, reaffirmation of vows. We're going to renew our covenants. This is going to be the most beautiful thing. And we're packing up chairs and trying to get out, right? We didn't finish the liturgy. And then we were moved to a side chapel. And the couple that was supposed to get married had to move to a courtyard. And it's all kind of chaotic. Anybody ever been in that where you had these plans and then everything fell apart? Anybody? I know you all have perfect lives, but not me, right? <laughs> so I'm kind of devastated. Like, this was supposed to be this, right? And we, got, we had to move. And we'd made the mistake. And so anyway, we get into this little side chapel. It's really beautiful, frankly. And we began to pick up the liturgy again. We reread John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. And the couples kind of gathered together. And then we renewed their covenant. And in that moment... God did something amazing. It was just beautiful in this simple chapel of St. Simon Peter. These couples renewed their covenant in the midst of the chaos. They forgot all that had happened and all the chairs scraping and us rushing down the aisle. And it was a sacred moment of renewing. And there was a couple that joined us from another church because they were there. And they wrote me a note later and said, how beautiful it was for us to be in Christian community, renewing our covenant to love each other after 60 years. God does that, right? God does things like that. When we're in the midst of chaos and uncertainty and things don't go the way we were supposed to and we're in the wrong place, God takes that moment and renews a covenant with us to be back on track, right? It's so true. We could have abandoned that and said, forget it. We're not going to do it. But God said, you're in the moment. This is, this is what is going to happen, and we're going to reestablish this. The same is true in the book of Joshua. God has this beautiful plan to enter the promised land, and the people continue to mess up, right? They, they're in the wrong place. They make the wrong decisions. They rely on their own agenda, and yet, through it all, God, even though God gets angry, God gets disappointed, I think God even gets very sad, God continues to loop around and bring folks back through Joshua, Caleb, Eleazar, and others to this place, to this promise, 
to this reality of grace and love. Amen? So if you have your Bible, I ask you to turn in Joshua. It's in the Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture. And we're just going to look briefly at chapter 24. Now, Joshua has gathered all the tribes. He's allotted all the land. Everything's done. And they are at the village of Shechem, a sanctuary or um, refugee city. And he begins to talk and tell the story about how they've been delivered. He talks about Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Esau and Joseph in Egypt and the deliverance across the Red Sea. He wants them to remember the story that God has continued to be faithful and God has continued to, to call them to the promised land. He talks about wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And then he says, you took possession of their land and I destroyed what was before you. And then he talks about all the kings and people they've had victory over. And then he comes to chapter, to verse 14, which Kim read so beautifully. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river, that means on the east side of the Jordan, and in Egypt, remember they were there for a long time, and serve the Lord. Now if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua calls the people into covenant, right? He says, are you going to renew this covenant to be the people God has called you to be? God has delivered you to the promised land. Are you going to forget or are you going to remember? Are you going to renew or are you going to serve other gods, right? In Bible study this week here at the church, after we were done, one person said, I don't think I'm worshiping other gods, right? I don't think that's a distraction for me. And I think we all say, well, I don't have any idols on my mantelpiece or, or, or you know, I don't have these, these distractions. That, and I said, well, often our gods uh, are not quite as obvious as they were then, right? And, and, and I'm going to step on some toes. You ready? Get your feet out. Here we go, right? Uh, what are our gods, right? Let's think about that. Is it that smart device you hold in your hand that you can't live without? Uh-oh, right? Is it the temptation to gossip? Is it the temptation to speak poorly of others? Is it television? Is it sports? Uh-oh. What is it that keeps you from putting God first? Is it you're climbing the ladder at work? Is it you are stepping on others so you can be at the top? Is it all the distractions of materialism? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, the greatest temptation in the world for me is Amazon.com, right? We laugh, but come on. We buy stuff we don't need. We can have it the next day. I don't know about you, I, I get a little thrill. In fact, I'm disappointed when I get home and there's a box there and it's for the neighbor. I kind of go, ah, what's going on? In fact, you want to know the truth? Sometimes I order things separately so they arrive on different days so I have little gifts for myself, right? Sounds like idol worship to me. I know you're good people. You probably haven't had any of these distractions. But I want you to think about that what the idols are that you've been led astray from. Because if God is not number one, then you have somebody in first place, right? What is it? Who is it? And I think that's what Joshua was saying to the people. You're surrounded by distractions of the Amorites, the gods that were in Egypt, and the gods on the east side of Jordan. You're distracted by all of these things, a culture that's all about things, and sometimes we don't put God first. We squeeze in worship when it's convenient. We go to a Bible study once a year, and then we wonder why we feel lost and we're not in the promised land. 
Joshua calls the people to serve and to renew their covenant. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say that with me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then he calls them into that covenant. But I love at the very end. I find it very strange, but sometimes I need a reminder, right? Anybody? I have every intention to stay focused on God's plan for my life. It's not like I go, oh, God, I don't need you. I always say, oh, God, I need you. I'm going to be really committed. Then the Amazon thing comes and I forget, right? (laughs) So Joshua does an interesting thing. After they've said, we are going to serve God, we are totally in, right? He says, okay, you see this big rock that I've put next to this oak where we worship in outdoor worship, right? This stone has heard everything you've said everything and let it be a witness to you because it is a reflection to God of the covenant you have made now I don't have a stone next to a tree at my house but I have an icon of Jesus that reminds me every day next to my computer are you committed to Jesus on Friday 60 over 60 people gathered here at Kingswood to celebrate and send forth our new United Methodist missionary to Jerusalem. She's a pastor in uh, Rockford, a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for 30 years. She's been at Christ Church in Rockford for almost 12 years. But over this past year, through other people's voices and through the work of God, she has felt a call to leave pastoral ministry and be a United Methodist missionary in Jerusalem, right? She had been there years ago after college on a mission intern program and was there during the first intifada and really faced some hard times and came back. But now my friend Jane feels called back. And so on on Friday night she was here and she shared this beautiful story of when the district superintendent, the bishop, and others said, Jane, are you being called to something else? And so she decided she was called maybe into mission service in the final years of her ministry. I mean, I'm 59, she's 60, so I'm not imagining at 60 I would be moving to Jerusalem, right? Hello? I mean, I don't even want to move to Wakanda, so you know what I'm saying, right? But Jane felt God tugging for her to go to a mission service. So she contacted the General Board of Global Ministries, which she had worked with before, and they said, oh, we're open to this, and They said, where would you like to go? Oh, I'll go to South America, or I'll go to Europe and work with Ukrainian refugees. But she said, whatever you do, do not send me to Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. I know, Marcia, it's shocking. And then she gets a call and says, we've got the perfect place for you, Jerusalem. You've been there. You have experience. You speak Arabic. Why would we not send you there? And Jane wrestled all night, she said, And she wrestled all the next day. And then she said it became very clear that's where God was leading her, to Jerusalem. Do you know what her work is? She's going to help United Methodists stay connected to the Holy Land. That sounds fair, right? But she's going to work on peace among Palestinians, Arabs, and Jews. Boy, that sounds like a job, doesn't it, right? (laughs) And then she's going to do some other work. And at the close of her speech on Friday night, which for me was one of the most sacred nights I've had in a long time, she reminded us of how she got here. She said, I renewed my covenant with God every day throughout my ministry. She prays a prayer that John Wesley, John Wesley 
was an Anglican priest that started the Methodist movement, normal guy, you know, just a regular guy, a minister in the Anglican church, wanted to renew the church, created a bunch of ways to do that. They were all very methodical. Say that with me, methodical. That's where we get our name, Methodists, right? It's not from the Bible. It was actually a slur, right? Okay. Because he said we needed to be about personal holiness and social holiness, that if we follow Jesus, we serve Jesus as people, and we make a difference in the world. But Wesley wrote this prayer based on other prayers, and I want you to hear it, because this is the prayer that Jane prays almost every morning. We pray it occasionally here, the Wesleyan Covenant prayer, but we don't pray it enough. I realized I avoid it because it's scary, right? Because I want you to hear these words. You ready? I am no longer my own, but I am yours, O God. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal, O God. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I've made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. That's a scary prayer. Really? Anybody? It's a scary prayer. But in many ways, this is what Joshua was saying to the people at Shechem. Will you put me first? Will you offer yourself and give yourself away to me to use you for grace and love in the world? Will you put Jesus first on the list? And, and, and that's what I'm going to say to us together as we finish this series about promised land. Part of getting to the promised land is putting God first, right? And I, let's be honest, sometimes we go, well, I've got God first, but they don't, right? We're good to start judging other people. Oh, they have these gods, or they're not where they should be. But often, that's our way of deflecting from the reality, including myself, that God is not always first place. Think about it. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's other things. Sometimes it's our schedule. Sometimes it's our jobs. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's other things. We say, oh, we love God, but... We make a narrow space for God. And if you just look at your calendar, where's God on your calendar, right? Really? I know it's Mother's Day. You were hoping for a Hallmark card, weren't you? Amen, right? <laughs> I've just been convicted by our study of Joshua. Is Jesus first in your life? Is Jesus at the top of the list? And if not, how will you renew that covenant? To put him first in your life and in your journey. This isn't about guilt. Amen? Hello? This is about faith and getting to the promised land. Here once again. I am no longer my own, but I am yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing even put me to suffering. I don't always want to pray that. But Joshua reminds me, who will you serve? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.